We're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. And the title of the message this morning is Pray Like We Mean It. So before we explore this, let's, let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing to rest on your word proclaimed and that you would give us ears to hear, that you would protect our minds from wandering and being distracted. I know how difficult it is to to pay attention to a live stream, to pay attention to a video. Lord, I pray that you would please uh, bring focused attention as your word is proclaimed, and that by your spirit you would work in us, that you would root out things that need to be rooted out, that you would remind us of things that we've forgotten, that you would bring refreshing and rejuvenation and strength where it needs to be brought. And and Father, we pray for just a clearer view of you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when you think of the most important things to do in a time of crisis, uh, prayer, at least for a follower of Jesus, is top priority. And if we're honest with ourselves, so many of us are insecure when it comes to our prayer life. You know, I'm, I'm so glad the disciples in Luke chapter 11 asked Jesus how to pray. And besides giving them a, a what to say, Jesus also gave them a how to approach the Father lesson. And his description of the generous open-handedness of God the Father is the clearest invitation that I've ever seen for us to pray like we mean it. We've got this clear invitation to pray like we mean it. So let's check that out in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Three things here today I want us to see. Number one, there's a model prayer for us. Number two, there's an open invitation. And number three, We have a question, where do we go from here? So number one, a model prayer. This is a firsthand lesson on prayer from Jesus. I mean, have you ever seen someone doing something that made you just stand in awe? 
And, and maybe your response to what they were doing was, oh, please teach me how to do that. That's incredible. I, I want to do that. Well, Luke 11, it begins with, with Jesus praying again. If you notice, Luke presents this really clear pattern of J- Jesus as a man of prayer. And here he is praying again, and, and his disciples are with him. They're actually observing him praying. I mean, this is what discipleship is about. His disciples are learning from him uh, as they observe his life. And sometimes I think we complicate discipleship, and we look at it as a class, or you know, bring him to the professional, per, you know, the teacher, the pastor. But if we just invite people into our life to see what we're doing up close and what our walk with Jesus looks like, they're going to glean from that. And so here Jesus is, and he's praying, and his disciples see it, and one of them says, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like John's disciples were taught, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist had a group of disciples that he was, he was leading, and he had obviously taught them to pray, and his disciples had heard about that, and they saw Jesus praying, and they're thinking, I want to do that. Teach us how to do that. You know, I feel like right now in this time of stay-at-home and quarantine, everyone is, is watching how-to videos. You know, you can just YouTube anything. My kids, they're learning how to draw. I, I really never thought this day would come. I was an art major, okay? And, and, and I never expected my kids by this time to draw. They never wanted to draw before. They're, they're athletes, and, and they do other things too, but they're primarily athletes. And here they are, wanting to draw and watching these YouTube videos on how to draw. And they're, they're awesome. And I'm trying not to get too excited when they show me their drawings. You know, I, just yesterday, I, I busted out my art bin, my old art bin from college. And I was like, hey, if, if you want to use any of these tools, you're, you're more than welcome to. Um, you know, hint, hint. But they've also watched videos on how to backflip, on how to front flip. I mean, they're, they're watching all kinds of how-to videos. You, and you can pretty much watch any how-to video you want. Maybe you've learned a language during the stay-at-home uh, quarantine. Maybe you learned how to play a, uh, an instrument. Jesus wasn't a YouTuber, but he did give his disciples a sort of how-to on prayer. And, and listen, I've sat in lectures on prayer. I've gone to conferences with the theme uh, being prayer. I've read books on prayer. I've sat in uh, classes and, and, and all this good material. But here we have the master himself, Jesus himself, teaching us on the subject of prayer. I mean, this is like us getting Michelangelo teaching us how to paint. And this is good stuff. And, and maybe, maybe you've seen the advertisements for Masterclass. Uh, on, I've seen them all over Facebook and um, on my feed. Masterclass, where you can have like Steph Curry teach you how to play basketball or Steve Martin uh, teach you comedy as if as soon as you take this class, you'll be as, like Steve Martin. Um, but here's the deal. This is a Masterclass by the master himself. This is a class on prayer by Jesus. And it's not a long class. It's simple, but it's beautiful. And it's profoundly deep and personal. Look how he starts. When you pray, say, Father. Let's pause there. We're invited to call God Father. Now, we can easily forget the significance behind this. Listen, we are welcomed into God's presence as his children. And he looks upon us with a father's love and affection. Jesus would have used the Aramaic Abba. Here it's the the Greek for father, but 
we get the same sense, the same idea. This is an intimate uh, term. And, it, and we're, we're to approach uh, God with this, this personal address filled with intimacy and affection, Father. You know, I remember 21 years ago when Valerie and I were married and I thought, I have a wife. I mean, wife, the word wife just took on new meaning and it was filled with just so much more meaning and, 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 and intimacy and, um, and joy and, because I had a wife in Valerie, she, she, and I still do. She's mine. And we are told here to address God as Father, Father. Now, I know we, we, we might think about, when we think of the word Father, we might have good thoughts, we might have bad thoughts, depending on your upbringing. But here Jesus is teaching us something very important, uh, how to approach God, the creator of all things, the one who sustains us, who gives us our breath, who keeps our hearts beating, who keeps everything in motion and holds everything together, we can address him this way, Father. So don't move on too quickly from that word. And as we pray, let's, let's approach God that way. We're invited to. You know, not everyone has the privilege of calling God Father. You might wonder, where, where did I get this right? In John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, John, to all who received him, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You've been given the right. It's been given to you. You know, when you, you, you first learn to drive, you know, you get, you're like, oh, should I be out on the streets with this car? And then someone, you, you get your license and your parents give you the, keys to, to a car, and you're like, I got the right. I, I can be out here all by myself. This is incredible. You're, you're given the right. We have been given the right to approach God this way. Romans chapter 8, look with me. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, this is almost too good to be true, uh, but that's what grace does to us. That's the response we should have when we see God's grace uh, in Scripture. Like, what? This is too good to be true. Listen to this in Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. There's that intimate term, that Aramaic term, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see what Paul is writing to the church in Rome? He's saying, listen, this is who you are. Don't forget it. Look with me in Galatians. He wrote the same thing to the Galatians. Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There it is. We've been adopted into this family. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's that intimate term. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow. A son has rights. A son has privileges. J.I. Packer writes, he's my father and he's God in heaven. He's God in heaven and he's my father. Grasp this or let it grasp you. 
Then tell God what you feel about it. And that will be the worship that our Lord wanted to evoke when he gave us this thought pattern. Grasp this or let it grasp you that you can boldly approach God as Father. Verse two, Jesus says, when you pray. So he expects us to pray. Part of the devoted life of following Jesus involves prayer. So each phrase that Jesus provides for us, uh, it launches us into some places of more detailed prayer. It can launch us. Each phrase can launch us into places of contemplation and intercession. And so the prayer begins with concern for God's glory and honor above all things. It doesn't begin with a list of requests. How does it begin? Father, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It means holy, consecrated, sacred. In other words, God, let your name And name represents everything about him, who he is. Let who you are be acknowledged and honored, respected and revered, seen as holy. Oh, we want to see you as holy and set apart. We want to see you as uh, the the righteous one, completely just in all your ways. The one who makes uh, the best decisions. The one who is completely sinless and perfect in all that he does. We want to see you that way. We want to acknowledge you in, in our life. And we want others to see that. And so it's both personal and it's, it's evangelistic. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be hallowed and revered in my life. Let who you are be set apart in my life. Help me to see your character and your ways and primarily the fact that you are holy, holy, holy. And what that means for my life, that I, a sinner, can come before you as, as one who's been cleansed by your grace, by your mercy by the reality of what you've done in Jesus, I can call you Father. Goes on, your kingdom come. This is about the rule and reign of Jesus over us, the rule and reign of God. And Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. So where there's a a kingdom, there's a king. And Jesus is on the scene as Jesus the Christ, the king, the anointed one. So here he is, Jesus, he rules. This is a present reality, but it's also a future hope. Jesus rules here and now. And we'll see the fullness of that rule in in the future. And so we pray for the advance of his rule, for its full manifestation. So we could pray like this. God, would you act quickly? Would you show yourself strong? Would you overcome any and every power that stands in your way? Would you show your rule? Uh, Father, I know that you rule and reign through your son Jesus in the hearts and lives uh, of men, women, and children who have bowed their life to to Christ. Would you continue to manifest that rule? Uh, Would you continue to help me to bow to that rule? Your kingdom come in my life. Help me to see your rule, to bow to you, to, to live my life mindful that you are in control of all things and that you rule over all things, including me. Your kingdom come. Renew the church, save sinners, restrain evil, heal the brokenhearted, restore those who are sick, expose injustice, let your rule and your power be manifested over every power that stands in your way. It's a bold prayer. It's a powerful request. So in the face of opposition, in the face of uncertainty, in the midst of pain and sorrow and grief and tears and COVID-19, we can say, restore us, renew us, let your kingdom come. Now, Luke has an abbreviated prayer. Some of the other gospels, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Let your kingdom come here in St. Pete as it is in heaven. Let your rule and reign be manifested here in my city, in my life, in my family. Let it be known. Let it be experienced. It's a big prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Then it moves into a series of requests. But pause for a moment. Do you see how each phrase could launch us into um, more contemplation, more intercession? And this is how I personally use the Lord's Prayer. You can pray through it just straight through. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. He gave it to the disciples. He's given it to us. But do you see how you can just allow each phrase to launch you into further places of prayer? And that's what I've done uh, in my own disciplined time of prayer. Oftentimes, I'll just walk around the block, and I've done this for years, just walking and talking to the Lord, and sometimes my mind is just so filled with thoughts, and I can't get focused, and so I, I remember that he's given me this prayer to pray, and I begin this way, Father. I just meditate, think about the fact that I can call him Father. Thank you that I can call you Father. Just go down that path a little while. Hallowed be your name. Let's just go down that path a little while. Before you know it, I'm praying your kingdom come. Then he moves into a series of requests. Finally gets to some requests. We can all relate to these requests. They're requests that we all need to ask for. He says, give us, forgive us, lead us. Notice this is not a me, me, me prayer. This is an us, us, us prayer. It's communal. It's prayer for the community of followers of Jesus. Verse three, give us our daily bread. Bread covers all of life's necessities. And what what are we saying here? Give us our daily bread. We're saying, God, you are what sustains me. Help me not to believe the lie that everything I have has come from my hand. Instead, help me to believe the truth that everything I have comes from you. And help me not to look to those things to satisfy, but instead help me to look to you, that you're the one who satisfies Help me to deny self-sufficiency. Destroy the illusion that I'm the one in control. Verse four, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. In other words, here we are, are invited to confess our sin and live in a way that honors the Father. Forgive, forgive us. Right there, there's an ownership. Right there, there is an admission and a humility going to the Father and saying, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for the way I've, I've, I've messed up? Would you forgive me for the way I've sinned? Would you forgive me? But you know, why can we go to God that way, asking for forgiveness? Because he freely forgives. He's made a way. Jesus has fully made a way through his uh, shed blood on the cross for us to boldly come before this throne of grace and find mercy, for us to be able to confess our sins and know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Now, here's where we get tripped up if we think we haven't sinned. Or we're never bringing these these requests for forgiveness to the Father. Like, why? It's an opportunity for him to lift that burden from our shoulders that we not bear it anymore. Live under the shadow of it and trust that he's faithful and just to forgive us. Can you pray this prayer from the heart? as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us or who sins against us. That's a bold prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven those 
who sin against us. You know, it's not our right to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness. It is not our right. And so when we think of the magnitude of the forgiveness we've received in Christ, we will see that we have no right to hold on to unforgiveness or bitterness or animosity towards a brother or sister in Christ or anyone for that matter. But instead, we can entrust that situation to God who judges justly and knows all about the brokenness of it. And our forgiving of that person is not a saying what they, we're not saying what they did was right or it was, a, it was fine and that they can keep doing it. No, we're saying this is not mine to carry. I've been forgiven so much. Now I freely forgive and I release it to the one who's in charge. I release it to the, the one who judges justly. And it says, lead us not into temptation. Keep us far from temptation, from lust, from pride, from hypocrisy, from envy, from disregard uh, uh, for your, your scripture. Uh, you know, we can just have this kind of, we have sins uh, of omission where we just kind of stay away from things that we should be giving ourselves to, like the reading of God's word or like the sharing of the gospel or prayer. Uh, these are uh, sins of omission where we've been invited in. Uh, Lord, help me not to have this disregard for your word. Help me to uh, lead me far from temptation. So all of this helps us to see there's not a moment that we don't need grace for the fight of faith. So there it is. There's this sweet, simple, profound, beautiful prayer, personal prayer that's been dropped into our laps that we're to run with. We are certainly not to leave it here on the pages of Luke 11 only. We're to take it and run with it as disciples of Jesus. Second, we have this open invitation and here, here's where Jesus begins to illustrate uh, what he's been talking about as he, in this model prayer. And he he's basically lays out this first illustration. He talks about like a friend who, asked, who was asked to show hospitality at midnight. Uh, this is a lot. He's, he's comparing the father to this sleepy friend at midnight. At, at verse 5, he's basically saying, imagine what would happen if... And I think there's a lot of humor to this illustration. Sometimes we can miss the humor in Jesus' uh, parables and illustration. But I think people that were sitting around would have be- begun to laugh at some of the points in this illustration. And I think, I think you'll see why in a moment. But imagine what would have happened if, and, and so what, what's happening here? The person received a friend who was traveling, and he, begins, he, he needs to show hospitality because hospitality in the Middle East, both then and now, is equal to a sacred duty. And so this, this person who arrives at his home, maybe he was traveling at night because of the cool of the night. He arrives at, at his home. I don't know why he didn't text him or call him ahead of time. That was weird. Um, but for a guest to arrive uh, and, and there's not enough to eat, this is an issue of honor. And it would have been really the responsibility of the entire community, not just of that person uh, whose house they arrived at. And so the man goes to a friend at midnight and he asks for bread. Apparently that guy hadn't prepared bread ahead of time and so he he goes to his friend at midnight and the man is inside and he's sleeping. Of course he is, it's midnight. And he's sleeping, his kids are asleep and and I imagine this guy answering back with gritted teeth, right? Like, and, and, and with a shouting whisper. Every parent knows what a shouting whisper is. Are you kidding me? My kids are sleeping. (laughs) You're gonna wake them up. Quit knocking on the door. Get out of here. That's what I imagine the guy saying. My kids are asleep. This guy's aggravated, and rightly so. If you have little kids and they're asleep, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And now this neighbor friend 
is knocking on the door at midnight asking for bread. And, and, and this guy's doing, a, a, for sure, a shout whisper. Get out of here. Come on. And I think everyone around would, would have been laughing. Like, this is humorous. But he, he'll get up, verse 8, he'll get up because of the shameless persistence of the one asking for bread. If he doesn't get up because he's a friend, he's going to get up because this guy just keeps knocking. He's not going away. Kids are starting to stir. This guy's like, oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to give you the bread. The idea here is, regardless of the time, place, or person, this man who needed bread was on mission. And the friend who said, go away, he's going to get up. And did he get up to uphold his own honor? Did he get up because the man was persistent? Yes. Did he get up to uphold his own honor within the community to provide hospitality? Yes. I think that's part of it. So the man who was sleeping would have done the very same thing had he had a guest come over at midnight. The point is, is made, and Jesus then moves on to drive it home. Look what he says. Look what Jesus says in verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Refuse to give up. Jesus is saying, be persistent. And it's repeated again in verse 10, which highlights the certainty of the response. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Always heard, always answered. Think of that. Now you might be answered in a way that God sees best, which you will be answered in a way that God sees best. God is not our genie in a bottle doing our bidding. As we pray, we can't think of that prayer that way. We can come with him boldly with any request we might have. But again, he's not a genie saying, yes, your three wishes, sir. He knows what's best. When we pray, we're, we're coming to him with re- requests. And we're trusting that he's going to work out the details. He knows what's best for us. But one thing's for sure, he is ready, he is generous, and he is eager to bless, eager to give, knock, and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. All three verbs are continuous. It's not a one and done. Just ask one time and go on your way. No, continually. It's ongoing. And this, this really makes sense. Later in, in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, pray without ceasing. And it's not as if we're like, to be in this constant, always just praying. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, so I'm not praying. But this is ongoing, continuous prayer life. This knee-jerk reaction to life circumstances. I want my knee-jerk reaction to life circumstances to be that of prayer. Even if I'm coughing up a prayer that barely makes sense. Even if I can't put three words together that I feel makes sense because I'm so grieved or broken or angry or frustrated. But I want there to be a, a knee-jerk reaction to life circumstances, the good, the bad, the ugly, that I'm, I'm going to the Lord because I know he's generous and willing to meet me right there. Ask, seek, knock. One author said, prayer is a learned experience. I like that. It's a learned experience. You know, for some of you, it might come really natural. For, for most people, prayer is very, very difficult. 
It's, it's a discipline. We are disciples. We're to be disciplined in, in our approach to things. Uh, but, the, the, but prayer, oftentimes, we just, well, what do I say? How do I say it? Or what if I don't feel like praying? Let me just tell you right now, you cannot wait for feelings to guide you to pray. You can't wait for when you, for when you feel like praying. It requires discipline. Now, at some point, you might begin uh, to have feelings as you're praying. I know you will, but you have to begin to speak. You have to begin to talk. You have to actually begin to say something to God. And Jesus has laid out the words that you can begin to say. Now, prayer is work, and it takes great effort, but let me tell you, it turns on you quickly. It becomes the sweetest thing you could ever imagine. It could become like, like a really good meal when you're hungry and you eat that meal and you feel so satisfied. Or oftentimes, when you're, you're thirsty, you've been working out in the, the, the lawn, uh, the yard, and you're just dying of thirst, and, and someone brings you a nice cold lemonade. I mean, prayer feels like that sometimes. You feel rejuvenated and renewed and strengthened. Why? Because you've spent time with the Father. You've gone to him with your needs. The burdens are lifted. You've gone to the one who's in control, who can do something. This is part of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a people of prayer. We're following him on mission. You know, just this week, I was meeting with Katie, who's our church admin, and we were talking about all the things that we've been able to um, do and the needs that we've been able to meet through the various local missions that we partner with, the local ministries. And she's just like, I love this. She gets to write the check to these local ministries. She said, this is so fun. And I said, are you seeing this? I mean, this is crazy. We have this front row seat to God answering prayer and meeting needs ag- again and again and again. And not just financially. Church, God is doing great things in, uh, through you, <laughs> through the community that is local church St. Pete. And I hear things just again and again of people uh, wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus, of people embracing Jesus as king, of people wanting to be baptized, of people wanting to press into the community, of people convicted of sin and patterns of behavior that they've been living in, but all of a sudden they realize, man, this isn't consistent with what it means to follow Jesus, Uh, of people realizing that I was called not to just be by myself, a lone wolf, fighting the good fight of faith by myself, but be connected with community and, and just people, uh, you, walking faithfully in the truths of, 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 of Christ, of the gospel. We're hearing about it every week, every month. We get this front row seat, answered prayer. So how do we approach God? How should we approach the Father? With shameless persistence. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Knock, ask, seek. Actually, ask, seek, knock. I don't think it matters, the order. Ask, seek, knock, shameless persistence. Be persistent. God will uphold his honor. God will defend his cause. Will you be persistent? And then he compares the father uh, to an earthly father, like a father providing and and feeding his children. Uh, Look with me in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? At that point, I think people in in the crowd listening to Jesus would have been like, Oh my, no, 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 this is crazy. No, nobody would give a serpent to a child. Or, or if he asks for a, an egg, uh, we'll give him a scorpion. Are you out of your, no, Jesus, no, 
Nobody's gonna, no father is going to give their child a scorpion. Um, and so then he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Let's pause there. How much more? Jesus argues from lesser to greater. He says, he's talking about uh, the father's love and compassion is far greater than any earthly father. Far greater. You know, just this week, I was laying on Jude and Shay's, um, this last week, I, was, I went into their bedroom at around 10.30 at night. They're still chatting. They share a room. And I had a double-decker peanut butter and banana sandwich. I don't know why. I was hungry. And I, I knew they would hate that, the smell of peanut butter. And so I go in their bedroom anyway, and I'm laying on their carpet, eating this big sandwich, just talking to them. You know, for any parent, you know that's when kids really open up, like between 10.30 and 1.30. Uh, so we're sitting there. I'm sitting there. They're in their bed. And we, for some reason, the topic of pillows come up. I was asking, hey, do you guys like your pillows? I don't know why. And then Shay threw his pillow at me, and it pretty much floated in the air. It was the weakest pillow I'd ever seen in my life. And I purchased it for him, I don't know how long ago, at Target. And it was just pitiful. And so we all were laughing at how crazy thin and ridiculous this pillow was. So I'm, I'm, the very next day, I'm online ordering like the nicest pillow that I could, I could find. Actually, it was just the, the pillow I have. They're very jealous of my pillow. Um, so here's the thing. Then I, I'm thinking to myself, this, I want this. I want good things for my kids. I, I don't want them to be laying on this, this paper-thin pillow. I mean, they've done that for many months, and so that's enough. Uh, so I, I'm thinking, I want good things for my kids, and then this passage comes to mind. If I want good things for my kids, how much more does the Father want good things for me? And then from lesser to greater, he said, how much more uh, has, what does he say? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Wait a minute, what? Where'd the Holy Spirit come into this conversation? Why is the Father wanting to give us the Holy Spirit from lesser to greater? Can you think of a greater gift than the Holy Spirit, than the presence of God to empower you, to strengthen you, to equip you? I can't think of a greater gift. So how much more will will your Father, your Heavenly Father, give you the Holy Spirit himself and be with you? What did Jesus say? When he ascended into heaven, he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. Wow. By his spirit, Holy Spirit who empowers us, there's no greater gift. Are you praying with confidence that this is the disposition of the Father towards you? This is his heart towards you, a generous heart. There are no reservations on God's part. The invitation's wide open and so is the Father's heart. So pray with confidence Draw near with confidence. You know, I was reading this passage and just, just soaking in it the other day, and I heard Silas squawk. He was in the other room, door was shut, and I'm thinking, I love that kid so much, that little squawk. Uh, I love that. And my eyes just kind of filled with tears because I was reading of the Father's love and generosity towards me and his disposition, disposition of an open-handed generosity towards me. And I think, I love my son so much, and yet the Father loves me with an extravagant love that goes far deeper than that. And it filled me with so much joy and rest. I want it to do the same for you. And I want it to motivate you to pray. To pray like you mean it. How do we approach God? Knowing that he extends an open-handed invitation, I pray that's how we approach God. Finally, where do we go from here? Church, habits of prayer 
don't just happen. It's going to require intentionality on our part, a daily routine. Don't be fooled. Prayer can feel painfully mundane at times, but it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. We're speaking to the God who is, who loves, who's intimately involved in our lives. It matters to him. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. It's anything but ordinary. It's extraordinary. We forget that. Will you own Luke 11 with me? Church, let's own this together. Let's own this prayer together. Let's remember the picture that Jesus has given us of what the Father is like. Let's be persistent and let's trust that he is generous. That there's no reservations on his part. That there's an open-handed generosity towards you from the Father. So here's the deal. Ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray like we mean it. We've been given the invite to do it. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for this full-on invite. Thank you that you've taught us to be persistent and that you've reminded us that you're generous. You're eager. You are ready to meet us right there. Help us to be persistent. Help us to be mindful of your generous heart towards us. And thank you for this model prayer. Help us to run with it. Help us to use it, to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.